This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Ewa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over. And Jessica George has done a very cool thing. She's written a novel called Mame, which we're going to get deep, deep into without spoilers. It's her first, but she's also been a bookseller. She's also been a book editor. And now she is a full-time novelist, which I'm very excited for her about. Jessica, it is so nice to meet you. You too. Thank you. Would you set up Mame for listeners? Because this is such a great book. Oh, thank you. I, I'm not very used to doing this without spoilers, so it, it, may, it may be very short and sweet. So Mame follows a 25-year-old protagonist, Maddie Wright, as she attempts to navigate her life as a later bloomer. I don't like to call anyone a late bloomer because I don't believe it's ever too late to bloom. But she is a later bloomer simply because many of her peers have already completed milestones she is yet to embark on, such as first boyfriend, uh, moving out of the house, uh, first real job, etc. And she must navigate these fresh waters whilst being a primary carer for her father suffering from Parkinson's disease. And Parkinson's, I... Honestly, I didn't know enough about Parkinson's before I read Mummy. I always thought it was mostly a physical situation, but there's also an emotional and mental component for people who have Parkinson's. Can we talk about that for a second? Because it is a little more complicated than some might know. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't know much about it at all. It's not a really, um, it's not one of the diseases that get a lot of screen time, I think, or a lot of, you know, uh, views or shares or something in, you know, in that capacity. So, you know, I can't speak too much for the uh, emotional side because I think that's going to be something that's only possible to express. And sadly, that's difficult to do by someone who is suffering from Parkinson's disease. But yeah, mentally, it kind of, from what I've seen, it sort of spaces you out. You are on a lot of medication during it as well because the, there are so many elements and elements that the drugs have to kind of battle at the same time, like high blood pressure, joints, uh, speech mobility, all of those things. And so what I could tell from the emotional and mental side was just the frustration of it. I think when you are someone who has as hyper-independent as my dad was and someone who did everything for themselves to suddenly become someone, and it happens very fast, the deterioration is is terrifyingly fast I think to suddenly go from being able to do everything yourself to being able to do very little if anything at all is is the most mentally challenging aspect of it perhaps and it's a really serious subject I realize what I've just asked you about but at the same time Maddie is such a great voice and such a great character and you give the reader space because I mean there's a lot of comedy in this book there's a lot <laughs> of comedy in this book. I mean, you and I were talking about this before we started taping. There are a couple of moments in the book where I was just like, are you kidding me? And no, they were so so satisfying, but I don't want to ruin it. Of course, there's a boy. And yeah. um, well, there are a couple of boys. But And yes, I did just ask you about Parkinson's, which is a really serious subject. And her relationship, Maddie's relationship with her dad, obviously, is such a key piece of this novel. But there's a lot of comedy here. There's a lot of big heart. There's a, there are a lot of moments to hold on to. And I really appreciated that as the reader because you gave me space to laugh and exhale and, and sort of <laughs> experience everything with Maddie. But 
Where did she come from? Where did you find that voice for her? Oh, so this is this is one of my favorite stories is that, so this is my sixth book, Mammy's okay. my sixth book that I've written in full, yep. but it's the only one to have been picked up by a publisher. And the five books that I'd written before, I realized that I was trying to emulate another author that I admired and their writing style, or I was trying to write for the market. And it wasn't until the sixth book, and this is what's so funny, I tell everyone I didn't expect Mama to go anywhere because it was the book I had the least faith in. Wow. Just because I thought that the voice was too conversational, too colloquial, and there's this kind of very annoying battle between literary and commercial and, you know, commercial, you know, people who love literary frown on commercial and people who love commercial kind of say literary is not accessible enough and, and things like that. And so I was kind of in the mindset that if I wanted to be taken seriously, I had to write in a literary voice. So that's why when I started writing Mame, which started off with diary entries of my own, when I, okay. when I lost my dad, I started writing diary entries just to kind of figure out how to process the grief. And it wasn't until a couple of months later that I tried to fictionalise it. And so the voice of Maddie is kind of without you know, causing any fear, the voice in my head, so to speak. She's just much nicer and sweeter and patient version of myself, I suppose. Just because she feels like talking to a friend, she was very, very easy to write. So Maddie came from diary entries when I was trying to be kinder to myself and trying to be more understanding and patient with myself during the process. And as soon as I started writing her, she just became a person in, in, in her entirety. So we know, obviously, Maddie's dad is a big piece of this. Maddie's mom is a little (laughs) unconventional. And let's just say mom keeps spending a lot of time in Ghana because she's inherited a property. Mm -hmm. And mom is not necessarily, she's got a little bit of the immigrant mom thing that we've experienced in literature before, you know, expectations of her children and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I have to admit, she's a lot. She's very funny. I mean, she's she's un- she, doesn't, she doesn't know she's funny. <laughs> she really doesn't know she's funny. And she's kind of great. So and then Maddie's brother, who, again, doesn't know he's funny and he's great. So the rest <laughs> of the cast and she's got some great friends and then she's got some flatmates. And then, of course, there are some boys. So how do we build a cast like this? Because, you know, you can't just keep her in this tiny nuclear space you've got to send her out into the world and especially when you're talking about all of these first and oh yeah there's that awful job (laughs) there's that terrible terrible job with the calendar oh worst thing terrible terrible but can we talk about building this world and this story I know sometimes we only talk about world building in terms of science fiction and fantasy but Maddie you did some cool stuff here can we talk oh thank you (laughs) oh that's so nice to hear um wow I've not been asked this this before. I my favorite bit about writing is, is characters. I am drawn to books with, I mean, it's simple to say, but 2D characters where they're very sometimes all over the place. You don't always agree with them, but you can see where they're coming from. I guess because of the different firsts Maddie has, it gave me scope to introduce so many people. I couldn't talk about her job without talking about her boss or her line manager. I couldn't talk about her first dates or her first boyfriends without them being involved. 
and the idea of you know how do you mark a friendship whether it's proximity or you know them being physical lifelines I then had to draw those two different casts and so you know some of them are inspired by people I know I am very proud to say I have a real life Nia and Shu like those are my friends and some are heavily inspired by people I've come across people I've worked with people I know but I mean the fun of it is is kind of creating their fictional lives I, you know, a friend of mine, my Nia, I suppose her name is Ashley. She, there was one character, she said, I don't know if I like this person. And I said to her, I don't like her either, but I don't have to. And that's the wonderful thing. I can, I can make a character who does things that I do not agree with simply because I'm writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Was it one of the flatmates? Yes. Oh, I think <laughs> I could tell by the way, I mean, if people are listening, but I can see by the look in your eye, you knew who I was. Yeah, didn't like her either, but totally understood why she, I mean, we needed her. We, she yes, needed exactly. her. If, yeah. if Maddie had not met this flat, and that was the only way they were going to meet is in some sort of yes. random situation like that. Either they were going to end up working together or they were going to end up living together because otherwise they just never would have met. And that seems like an actual lot of fun for you to figure out sort of how the pieces come together and how these people, how the serendipity happens, how you bring all of these different folks together. So can we talk about literary influences for a second? Because you were a bookseller for a while and then you were an editor and now you are a full-time writer, which congratulations. A lot of folks, I think, always (laughs) see that as the goal. But you said you wrote five books before Mame. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about literary influences. Let's talk about craft. Okay, well, I mean... The, like I said, my first couple of books were me writing for the market. So I remember one of my first books that I, I really thought would go somewhere were heavily influenced by like Twilight, Hunger Games, uh, the Maze Runner, Divergent, kind of the idea that, you know, what I hadn't grasped at the time was the idea of oversaturation. I just assumed if people loved it, people would want more, which is true to a, a certain extent, but also to the point where if it's been done, it's been done well enough for it to be incredibly popular. There's no need for, nobody's looking for more when they already have what they have. I wrote, I think, two or three stories trying to copy that, you know, that uh, formula, I suppose, the genre and the tropes and things like that. And then I think this is when I started reading Bernadine Evaristo and yeah. Yagayasi and you know, even Sally Rooney and Jesse Burton. And that's when I was thinking, okay, I need to sound smarter when I write. <laughs> I need to sound like a literary book because that's, again, writing for what's popular, writing for, you know, what people seem to be enjoying or what I think people are enjoying or what I think the market needs. I mean, I, I think my most resounding reading experience was Candice Carty-Williams' Queenie. Being published in 2019 and still being one of the first of its kind is a very bittersweet moment because it was an incredible reading experience, but it was far too late, 2019. I, I checked the publishing date the other day and I thought, oh, gosh, that's that's awful. That was only three years ago where I, where I read a protagonist I could relate to on a, on a deeper level for the first time. Subconsciously, it gave me that idea of, or maybe you can write how you want to write. 
even though that didn't materialize until a few years later, it was kind of that seed of there is space for stories like this. I can use my own voice to to tell a story. And three years later, Mame. You know, there are ways too of telling I mean, you've been in the business long enough to know that, you know, there are things that come down the pike that are sort of immigrant stories. Mm. And what you've done with Mame, I appreciate because it feels very British to me. It just feels like <laughs> an English story, but there's so much to relate to that it's not, you know, hey, look, we've got a immigrant community of Ghanaians. Mm. It's just, it's so relatable. And I love the idea that, and it's happening in the States too, where we're talking less about sort of immigrant stories and it's more like, yeah, America just has a lot of different yeah. bits to it, right? And yeah. Britain's the same thing. Like there are just a lot of different bits to it. Maddie is who she is, but she's a product of Britain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I want to go back to a work thing for a second, <laughs> because like I said, you've worked in books for a really long time. You've worked in the yeah. arts as well. And Maddie ends up being a PA, a personal assistant for someone who can't manage her calendar. She just like, yeah. how? <laughs> <laughs> But Maddie is the only black woman in the organization and she's very low on the totem pole. And yes, she gets fired. I mean, I, yeah. it's, it's going to be, it sets off a lot of things and it happens very early in the book. So I, I don't yeah. really think of that as a spoiler, but you know, in some spaces it's still first and only yeah. for a lot of black and brown faces. And I think one of the things I really love about the way you handle all of that is just sort of like, yeah, we're yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> but for you as the writer, I mean, you have to sit really deep with all of this. Yeah. And I don't want to say relive it per se, because we're not talking about autofiction. Yes, there is inspiration from your life, but this is not mm-hmm. autofiction. It's not autobiography. It's, it's exactly. taking larger pieces of the culture and yes, turning yeah. them into a novel. But are we going to get there? Are we ever going to get there? Are we ever going oh, to get there? Are we still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, the, the, I was asked earlier today mm-hmm. how I felt about talking so bluntly about the industry yeah. and knowing that the majority of the industry were, were going to read it. And, you know, someone said, oh, do you have any anxiety towards that? And I said, Absolutely not, simply because when they read it, it's not going to be anything new. Everyone is aware what is not happening is the acknowledgement of it. No one wants to change it or there's not enough change happening. This, the idea that Maddie being the only black person in the room, uh, the microaggression she faced shouldn't be news to anybody Mm -hmm. who reads it in the industry. It's going to sit uncomfortably with people who know it's happening but have no interest in mm-hmm. in trying to change it or putting in the work to change it. Writing about things like that were easy in terms of putting on the page, but very difficult to face because speaking personally, a lot of these things happen via hindsight. So there's a bit in the book, um, I won't say much, but for you, uh, the, the jug scene, the milk jug scene. Yep. Yep. So... That is a very true-to-life story that happened. Okay, that really, that that just makes me mad. I'm sorry. And listeners, Honestly, when you get to that the, scene in the book, your yeah. toes will curl. 
And the thing is, that happened in perhaps 2019. And I didn't write that scene until 2021. And as I was writing it, it wasn't until as I was writing it that I thought, this is tragic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely chaotic and such, such a mess. But at the time, it just sat as uncomfortable in my stomach. I couldn't name it. I couldn't place why exactly I had such an awful feeling about it until I was writing it down. And for a second, I was like, am I writing? What is the point of writing this down? What am I trying to say? I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I don't know what I'm trying to say how Maddie felt until I really fleshed out that scene and realized that isn't a ridiculous thing to ask someone to do, especially Maddie. It, um, my first response as I was reading was that's gross. Yeah. (laughs) It was just gross. It was just, there was no other way. And yet it makes sense in the context of the book. It just makes But as a human being, I just, my response was, that's gross. Yes. This book has such a big beating heart. But (laughs) watching Maddie figure out what matters to her. Mm. And I mean, we all figure our stuff out at different points in our lives. I mean, I, you know, I know we graduate from university and we're all supposed to have a clue and mm, (laughs) it doesn't always happen. (laughs) But watching her. She's kind of like a baby giraffe. It's great. She's just figuring out. And she has a lot of soft landings. And then she has some that are not so soft. And her friends are great. I'm so happy to know that you have a knee and a shoe in your life. (laughs) Because those are great characters. But when did you know you'd figured out? I mean, you could argue, so literary fiction doesn't always have plot. Um, You know, I mean, that's sort of the fastest way to sometimes explain it. Um, yeah. That's a longer conversation for you and I to have it in. <laughs> but when did you realize you had the story sorted for Mame? Because a lot happens. And this is, yes. it's, it's under 300 pages, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a really tightly written, okay, so my galley is, sorry, it's 307. I mean, it's oh, a okay. really <laughs> tight, tight 300 pages. So, (laughs) but you don't get tight 300 pages without some drafts and some work. And so, can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, oh gosh. When did I think it'd be a complete sort of very late late on? Mm -hmm. Um, So, before it even went on submission to editors in publishing houses, my agent and I worked on it for eight months. And during that time, I think we only had Maddie with one potential boyfriend. I think it's fair to say she has more than one. Um, We have, what else did we have? We didn't see much of the mum because, you know, the point was kind of she's absent. She's left Maddie. So I don't even think during that time we had her return. And therefore, I don't even think Maddie had moved out because the mum was the impetus for her moving out. It was literally with each draft, something something new came up. There was even some themes that I had to take out because I was I was trying to talk about too much at the time. Each topic comes with each, with a scene. Yeah. I think once I write a scene of something, and I and something such as the the first potential boyfriend she has, so I wrote that and thought, what if we had the opposite of him? 
Right. And then that's where that he came in. But then when I was thinking about him, I was like, well, where does he come in? That's where the flatmate came in. This is going to make no sense unless you've read it, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, but you know what? It actually, it is going to be so satisfying for people <laughs> when they know, because everyone has a very distinct voice in this book. Everyone has their own story that yeah. even if even if we only know like a paragraph, because there's some characters where we, we don't know everything, but we know enough. Yes. And it's really kind of great how it all comes together. I mean, I will say the dude at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice touch. That was a really nice touch. <laughs> Coming into a novel like this, especially I, again, I realize you have written other books, but let's talk about this as your first, because it is the first yeah, that's being published. Yeah, is, yeah. Eight-way auction in the UK. I don't know how many people participated in the US auction. This is a big deal. This book is a big <laughs> deal. And the voice is just great. And Maddie is so relatable and her friends are great. And even her frenemies, because yeah, they're frenemies in here. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just so relatable. It's and I have not been twenty five for a minute. <laughs> like, okay, I you know I remember what it felt like, sort of figuring out what was important to you. Did you surprise yourself at all when you were writing this? And I don't mean just like when you were editing with your agent and and going through and adding, but just you experiencing your own book I mean I guess in terms of how how popular how received it's how well received it's been you know thankfully I, I do have a, a level of, of faith in myself which is mm -hmm. the only way this book would, would have come out considering all the rejections before but I really didn't think Mammy was going to be the one to do it just because funny enough I thought it was the most unrelatable oh wow yeah, I thought I I thought people were going to think the Google searches were weird. Oh no 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 no, they're great. Oh, I, no. yeah. very the good device. That <laughs> <laughs> was the first editorial comment I got. We need more. Yeah, no, without a doubt, they are great. Yeah, are <laughs> yeah. I thought people weren't going to you know maybe relate to a twenty five year old British Ghanaian who's who's doing things a lot later than many books have. Mm -hmm. their protagonist to do I thought it was going to be unrelatable in terms of the grieving process because you know before I lost my dad I believe grief was going to be a linear thing there's that kind no. of the, the six yeah. stages and yeah, no. the, yeah exactly <laughs> and I thought people were going to read this and think well this is weird because she's not you know I don't know if it's a spoiler but it's not a, a neat neatly tied bow at the end it's not a spoiler. It's not neatly tied up, but it is so satisfying because it's perfect yes. for her. Yes, exactly. It's, it's yeah. perfect for Maddie. And you don't strike me as someone who reads a lot of treacle. And I can't really <laughs> imagine that you would be satisfied putting out a book into the world where, like, it's very predictable. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I just get that. Yeah, it doesn't strike me. I mean... At least on the U.S. galley, too. Like, Celeste Ang loves this book. Bonnie Garmus, you know, Lessons in Chemistry, loves this book. And I love the idea that, you know, they're among the writers who are blurbing you and understanding exactly what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. I mean, I just... It's really cool. I don't get, get Maddie. I can um, act cool now. But yeah, when yeah. I first heard the news of those names, quoting yeah. from my book, it was a completely different story. 
But yeah, I'm I'm a fan of 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 satisfactory but not neat endings. Yeah. I think, especially when it comes to grief, because my main lesson that I learned from grief is how unpredictable it is and how it doesn't really end. There's not an end yeah, point yeah, yeah. Oh, to yeah. grief. You you can't. The idea that you know the last stage of grief is acceptance mm. often strikes me as odd because I mean you can read it acceptance two ways. Just the kind of you know you've accepted that this is your life now. But I kind of read it as that's the end of your grieving. You will never grieve again. You shall never be sad again. And I just knew I was I would never have been able to to write that kind of ending. I think that's how acceptance is presented in mm. a lot of people's thinking about grief. It's um I thought it was something that you managed. I just thought it was a process that you managed. And if you understood enough intellectually that you could <laughs> wrangle it and shape it and, and, you know, and wow, no, the best metaphor I have for grief actually is I learned how to surf years ago and it really is kind of that. Like you just, you can only do what you can do and... Yes. Everything is bigger than you. The The yeah. ocean is always going to be bigger than you. It's going to have different plans and you can think you're going to do one thing and no, because you're still yeah. just one body on a board and it's like nothing actually prepares you for going through the thing itself. Yeah. And even if it's a drawn out process, you know, some people there's the grief that comes when there's an accident or something happens very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the longer, like, well, I should have had a better understanding of this because there's this whole process that has led up to this moment. No. Yeah. yeah. No. There's no. no preparation whatsoever. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Not in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, the idea, <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but, like, really just thinking I could manage my way out of sleep. I knew nothing. <laughs> I knew nothing and you know you read a lot of books about grief and you watch movies, whatever no yeah. I know absolutely <laughs> nothing and you do you come out on the other side you got a very cool book out of it but and yeah we to, and we get to read it so I would say you've really come out of the, come out the other side in an unexpected way perhaps but I just I really appreciate the fact that, yeah, I'm not obviously a Brit and I'm not Ghanaian and I don't have a, you know, all of these things. But the universality of Maddie figuring out where she is in the world and her voice, mm -hmm. her voice is just so great. It's just, it's so <laughs> warm and real and honest. And like, you don't always get that. And it, it, it takes some practice. <laughs> Do you miss hanging out with her? Do you miss the world? I mean, I miss it's her really complete. Day. Yeah, okay. It's a yeah. really complete world. I, yeah, I miss her and her interactions, her family and her friends yeah. very much. But although I miss her and I often wonder, oh, I wonder what Maddie's doing now, I'm not tempted to go back because I like where she is at the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This yeah. book does not need a sequel. Yeah, I mean, we, we need more from you. We need more Thank from you, but you. we do not need a sequel. No, 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 oh no. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, I'm just saying that for the record. We do not need a sequel. Honestly, this is great. a lot of people <laughs> have asked about a second yeah. book. And I know, I see where they're coming from. They enjoyed Maddie. They'd love to see her again. They'd love to hear from her. However, what I've decided very early on is that I know I do not want a second book because the way books work, for me to write about Maddie again, I would have to put her through more hell. 
just so there's a resolution at the end. Unless anybody is willing to publish a book where it's just Maddie having a great time for 300 more pages. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the industry doesn't work like that. I can't just have her going out for coffee and just coming home and being happy. And for that reason entirely, I have no intention of, of writing a second book. Where she ends is, is where she should end. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I mean, it's a great journey. It is so much fun to be a part of, but yeah, I do. I feel like, okay, okay. <laughs> you're wonderful, but I want to see what Jessica George does next. And I think, yeah. that, I mean, apparently I will follow you anywhere. So whatever you do next, but can I ask, have you started? I mean, there is this conventional wisdom, you know, this having been in the book business for more than a minute, there is this conventional wisdom that you should be working on the next thing as the thing comes out into the world. Oh, yeah. I knew that from the second right. book sold. I was like, oh, what are you thinking of ideas? So, yeah, I'm working on book two at the moment. I hope to have a first draft done by the time Mamet comes out. So that's... Oh, because it's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, because that's... You know, we're yeah. taping this in late January. So, hi. That's a yeah. deadline. I mean, You've given oh, yourself oh, a deadline. Sorry, <laughs> you're, um, yes, sorry, the US is first. Yes, we are. In my head, I'm, I'm operating with the UK. So the UK is out the mid, mid-feb. So that's, okay. I mean, just the first draft, as in everyone in, on the team is happy with the idea. Right. Mm-hmm. So that I'm mm-hmm. not thinking about changing anything big. But yeah, book two is a, is a focus on uh, platonic female friendship. That's a really the, great idea. Yeah. The difficulty of like making friends as you get older, the the sadness of of losing your friends to, you know, either careers, mm-hmm. romantic relationships or relocation. Yep. Um, I have this thing where I just don't believe society places enough value on friendship. You um, are correct. Yeah. It's just not given the same light of day as romantic relationships. Yep. And I disagree fundamentally. And so that is what my second book is is largely about. I think it's a great idea. I can be patient. <laughs> I can be patient. I can be patient. I'll just sit quietly in the corner while we wait for this book to come. Because I just, you know, you did a cool thing. And I think part of that, honestly, comes from having been a bookseller and having been an editor and having mm-hmm. sat in on other sides of the process. Yeah. Because writing is solitary. We know this. And it's Very. nice sometimes to get out of your own way. I mean, you even said it at the top of the show when you were like, I wrote all these books thinking this is... No. Yeah. <laughs> Mame really swings. The language swings, the images swing, the character swing, the comedy is great. I really cannot stress this enough. There was a lot of laughing at... Yes, there was also some editorializing as I was reading because I'm a full-body reader and I do this. But like... <laughs> There's a lot of laughter in this book, which, you know, considering everything that you're covering, mm. this could have been a really different book. Yes. Yes. It could have been a really true. different book. And I'm very glad that we get this version of Mary's <laughs> story. I'm really, really excited about this. Jessica George, thank you so, so much for joining us on Port Over. And I cannot wait for other readers to meet Maddie because they are just, I think they're fully unprepared to be as charmed as they're going to be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope so. This has been lovely. Thank you for having me. Hello, readers. It's time for another TBR Top Off. We're going to recommend a couple of books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of Mame. 
I'm Mark. I'm here at my Barnes & Noble store in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm joined by my book buddy, Jamie. Hello. Hi, Mark. I'm at my Barnes & Noble store in Leawood, Kansas. Wonderful. So I'll go ahead and dive right in. I was thinking about evolving characters, uh, characters who are transitioning into that new stage of adulthood. And it made me think about Casey Peabody, who is the main character of the book Writers and Lovers by Lily King, which is a fun one. Casey is 31. She is still holding on for dear life to that creative life that she really, really wants. Uh, she is chipping away at her novel while her contemporaries and peers have moved on from that and are in their corporate jobs, have their nuclear families living the grown-up life that they're supposed to be living and ticking all the boxes. But she just wants some more. She, wants, she, she thinks that her time in college, her yearning for a creative life, is, is, has not gone away, and she's determined to keep going. But she is also going through a lot. She is grieving her recently deceased mother. She is drowning in student debt. Uh, she is working a dead-end job. And she's coming off of a messy breakup. So. All of these things are kind of getting in the way of her endeavors. But she is a determined character. She is true to herself. She is a person who has so much drive and at the very least persistence. Maybe not drive all the time. Things get in the way for her. But her journey towards a life in art is impeccably written. The creative need is very palpable and very honest. Uh, you're going to be rooting for this character long after the final chapter has ended. Casey's just somebody that you want to spend some time with. Much like Maddie and Mame, uh, you just you want to be her friend, and you want to hang out and pick her brain a little bit. So check out Writers and Lovers by Lily King. Jamie, what do you have for us? <laughs> well, my, I'm kind of in a different direction a little bit. Um, I, this is still a book that has some, some heart and some humor to it, but it's a little bit tougher. Uh, book about the immigrant experience. Um, this one is uh, a Jamaican family that moves to Miami in the 1970s, and it follows them for decades. And it's one of these books of sort of interconnected short stories. There have been a lot of these in the last couple of years. Uh, 2022 is a particularly good year for some really great ones, though. Uh, so these novel that's not quite a novel told in, in, in interconnected stories. And this one is... Um, if I Survive You by Jonathan Escoffery. He's got just a great voice. Um, and I thought in Mame, the voice was part of what the draw was for that book as well. Um, and so while technically it's not really a novel, I, I, I do like these kind of short story collections because I'm a short story reader. Um, so like the Jessica George book, like I said, this is about an immigrant family. They've moved from Jamaica to Miami, mom, dad, two kids. Um, they're trying to get away from political violence and um, find that life in America isn't exactly what they thought it was going to be. Um, Mom actually leaves. She goes back to Jamaica at one point, leaves her son, her youngest son, Trelawney. And most of the stories in the book are told from his point of view. Um, he's like Maddie. He's stuck. He's got kind of a dysfunctional family in a different way. Uh, his parents are in two different countries. He's trapped between two different worlds and and is feeling at times like he's really kind of getting ground up by that. But he always keeps his heart and he um, kind of keeps his sense of humor, even when things are when, he, when he's really, really struggling. Focus 
for the most part in each story is kind of on his relationship with each person in his family. So whether that is his older brother, his dad, his mother who's distant, the people that he is going to school with in the Midwest, the American kids who don't understand if he is Jamaican or if he's black or what that means to them. Sometimes he's not sure. Uh, where he fits in. While he faces some really grueling obstacles that maybe Maddie doesn't face so much in Mom and Mame, um, and sometimes he's even less successful than she is, uh, it's still, I don't want it to seem like a downer. It's not a downer. It's actually a, a really interesting book, and it gives you a great multicultural perspective. Um, it's a fun debut, funny and heartbreaking and stylish. Lots of good things to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Trelawney is wonderful i love him so so much and uh Escoffrey was on a previous episode of poured over so that's a nice oh. little tie-in thank you so much for tuning into poured over please make sure to give us a rating and subscribe so you never miss an episode you can also follow us at barnes and noble pretty simple i'm mark you can follow my home store at bn westchester and i'm jamie you can follow my home store at bn leewood ks thanks everybody for tuning in happy reading goodbye Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.